Hello, friends, and welcome to Something to Talk About, a podcast where different women come together to talk about the Word of God and the various ways it applies to our lives. Today, we are joined by Amanda LaDuke and Mary Ann Wilkie. Amanda and Mary Ann both have experience in fostering and adoption. Their families have grown as a result, and it has been a pleasure for me personally to see the love and joy with which they have embraced the gift of their calling. Welcome, ladies. So great to have you here. Would you both take a minute to introduce yourselves? Tell us a little bit about your current family dynamic and then give us a picture of a day in the life of. I'm Marianne Wilkie. My husband, Justin, and I have been married um, for almost 16 years now. We are currently the parents of eight children ranging in the ages from 13 to 10 months. Um, Four of those are our biological children. our youngest son we adopted from foster care, and then we are fostering a sibling, sibling group of three um, children. Um, so we do that. We send some kids to daycare and some kids to school, and um, some kids are homeschooled. Um, I work part-time, and um, when I have some free time, um, I enjoy reading and gardening and just being outside. Uh, a day in my life sort of like um, controlled chaos, maybe. Um, Generally is the baby waking up when I want to have a quiet time and um, getting a minute to talk to my friend and the kids discovering that the cat pooped in the corner. Um, Oh, you have a cat too, bless you. um, We have 13 chickens and two dogs and two cats. Um, Yeah, we're a little bit. Wow. When I say chaos. Um, (laughs) But, or just reading with the kids or reading by myself. Um, yeah. Learning to expect the unexpected is, yeah, that's basically my day is not being able to account for what is mm. going to happen and learning to make adjustments. I'd wow. say so. With all of that, <laughs> there's no way you could know. What what do you like, kind of books do you like to read? Um, I like historical fiction a lot. Um, I have a book club that, that I'm part of that reads classics. So I've really enjoyed. I think I know those. that book club. Yes, you do know that mm-hmm. book club. Yeah, yes, I think the 13, the 13 chickens may add to that unpredictability. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they I got know. out twice today. I don't... <laughs> the dog's killing the chickens. Yeah, the dog's dug the And then the hole, cat's punishing the, the dogs yeah. for killing the chickens. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm Amanda LaDuke. I have been married to Mark for almost 11 years. We have three children. Micah is seven, Clara is four, and Adeline will be two soon. Um, I'm a nurse by training, but I don't currently work outside the home. Um, a day in the life. I really enjoy jogging in the early morning hours. And I, in fact, run by Marianne's chickens on my route, actually. And when I take the kids, they always want to stop and look at the chickens and decide where they are in the yard. So So uh, we are familiar with your chickens. I really love a hot cup of coffee, preferably fresh, but sometimes, you know, reheated four or five times in the microwave Mm -hmm. is acceptable as Mm -hmm. long as it's hot. Um, Micah currently goes to school, so we send him off to school, at least this week he's face-to-face, mm. um, and that I'm at home with the girls. We read a lot of books right now and play a lot of baby dolls. That is mostly what we do all day long. Um, and I really, I do enjoy reading aloud to the kids, um, sometime in the afternoon or evening hours. And, um, Really, I feel like I'm in the kitchen making meals or snacks and cleaning up from that all day long. Um, but I do love cooking and being in the kitchen, so that's an okay thing for me. I hear you on that. Do you <laughs> do you take the girls, probably they'd be young enough or small enough to fit in the stroller when you run? 
Um, sometimes if I'm feeling very ambitious right now. I still but. remember, I think, doing a half marathon and either you were you were at the top of some hill that I was trying to climb. And I just remember <laughs> you just big smile on your face like, this is so fun. And I'm like gasping. And I just remember you definitely... You know you like to run when you run with a big smile on your face and you just fly up a hill. So well, maybe you just got me in a good moment. <laughs> I don't know. It was not. It was a. It was a big hill. Well, y'all, thank you for telling us a little bit about a day in the life of. And we would like to know how did y'all? We we asked y'all to come today because we were talking about the important topic of fostering and adoption. And we've been going through the book of James and just thinking how he exhorts his readers that religion that God the Father sees as pure and blameless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. And y'all really have a heart for that in a very particular ways. I'd love to know how you came to embrace fostering and adoption. Can you remember a particular moment in which you made that decision with your husband? Was it a gradual thing? Was it an immediate thing? How did you come um, to start to get into fostering and adoption? Um, Mark and I actually talked about adoption before we were even married. It was something that we had on our minds and hearts um, mm-hmm. just individually. It became a more real discussion after we lost two babies to miscarriage and experienced some secondary infertility. Um, so we began pursuing domestic adoption in the summer of 2015. Um, but then it was almost four years before we brought Adeline home. So that was a long journey. As far as foster care goes, it was not even on the radar. About eight years ago when I heard um, about some friends of ours in our church stepping into foster care, I actually thought, wow, nope, no way. That is not for me. That's not for us. Um, I just want to be transparent for those that are listening that I had a very negative, narrow view of foster care, of foster children, foster parents several years ago. Um, but the Lord has really changed my heart and helped me see my own need for mercy. And this has been a very humbling journey that we have been on. God used adoption to open my eyes just to the brokenness and needs of vulnerable women and families around us in our community. And we desire now to be a part of family support and preservation. So God used an informational session that I went to just to become a babysitter to see the need, the staggering need and the statistics. And it just really broke my heart and opened my eyes to that. Um, God also has used podcasts and social media posts and things that I have read to help me to see what the need is and what my role could be in foster care. So it had been a discussion off and on, but about a year ago, God, as we sensed God was nudging us in this direction. And I actually sat on Marianne's couch about a year ago, talking with her, seeking some counsel from others and from her. And just what we needed to do to take steps forward. One thing we realized was that we needed more physical space in our home in order to welcome another child into our family. So we have begun a renovation addition project to add another bedroom onto our house in order to do that, which is currently ongoing and we really hope to be done in a few weeks. Are you fostering right now? We do not have, no, we do not have a foster placement right now. We have provided some respite care, which is some short-term care, um, a few times since we have become an open home, which was just in October. So we're very new to this process. Thanks, Amanda. So um, like Amanda, we had talked about fostering or adoption before we got married. Um, I think my husband would say that it's probably something he agreed to because he 
thought it might never happen. <laughs> he wanted to get. He thought it would. Yeah, sure. <laughs> kind we'll of one of those dating any. things. Oh yeah, we'll do that. Um, and but uh, I guess it was it was several years ago. He had a patient in clinic, just a little baby, that had been both abused and neglected. And he came home and told me about it. And I had seen abuse and neglect in my job plenty of times, but for whatever um, reason, it just just struck me like that, that baby could come to our house and that we could give that baby a place to live. And obviously we couldn't do that instantaneously and that baby never came and I never met that baby, but it did spark the discussion for us um, as to, is this something we could do? And my husband's initial reaction was that now was not the time, um, which was fairly reasonable because we were four or five months pregnant with our third child. Um, Both working. Both working. Yeah. Yeah, I was still working full time at that point. And so, um, eventually he had some, just, we would say, some people would say chance encounters, but I think God put people in his path, um, and even ads on the radio, various things that made him feel like it was the right thing for us to move forward. And, um, he went to the first class with me and like Amanda said, saw the need and saw the opportunity for us to use our home, um, to love kids that needed a place to go. Um, and so that's kind of how we got started. And through that, we've even, as Amanda said, just learned about birth families and wanting to love them well. And um, foster care is so much more than caring for kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've learned a lot about ourselves too. In the sense you mean of caring for their families as well. Like caring for their families, yeah, yeah, and praying for their families, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. I remember when um, our first placement, her mom would miss visits, and we just found ourselves like, there was nobody to pray for her. Like, was she okay? Did she not come because she something was wrong? And so we would pray for her that she was okay. And because she didn't have anybody, she was a foster kid herself. Mm-hmm. I think that surprised me. We did, my husband and I did some foster training as well, and it surprised me the emphasis I guess I hadn't thought about it, but of reconnecting foster children with their families. Mm-hmm. Like that's the primary emphasis. I don't know why I had always sort of thought that when people get into fostering, they're doing it maybe with the hope for adopting. Uh, and so you, to see how you're able to care for the children, but then for their families as well. So it's a big undertaking, one I don't think maybe people realize when they think about fostering. Sometimes with fostering, it doesn't end with the child being with you because that's not initially the goal many times. And so it would seem that it would be hard to uh, care for a child with the thought that you're going to someday give them up. So how difficult is that? And what helps you to endure, as we're talking about in James, what helps you to endure in fostering knowing that that could possibly be the case and that it most likely is the case? I think you're right. I mean, we've we've had, gosh, I think we're up to 15 or 16 children in our wow. home, wow. and we have adopted one of those children. So everybody wow. else, other yeah. than the three that we still have, mm. has left, and they have gone to family or to their birth families, and saying goodbye is hard, and people say, I can never do that. Yeah. I mean, the bottom line is the state is going to make you <laughs> give them up. What we've learned is that God is sovereign. Mm. We've learned that in a real way. I mean, we say that with our theo- theological words, but we've had to learn that just in our day-to-day life. Mm-hmm. Like, and he's sovereign over these children's lives, yeah. even when it doesn't make sense, even when that seems like a really bad decision from the court um, or 
you know, the parents aren't doing what they're supposed to do and you really want them to be able to go home, like the, mm-hmm. the various things and just trusting, learning to trust because that's hard, but learning to trust that God is in control and that he wants their good and our good even more than we want it. And that he knows it better, right? right. <laughs> like, right. I, mean, I think I know what is best for these children, but he does know what is best. What about you, Amanda? What helps you to endure knowing that you could possibly be giving up the child that you're caring for and that you likely will be? What helps you to continue to endure in this parenting in that situation? I think just taking the long view and um, just thinking about the words endurance and steadfast and perseverance help us to put it in perspective that this is something that we, this is a journey that we're on for a long period of time into eternity and just trying to keep that perspective and not just being overwhelmed and despair by the circumstances that are maybe in front of us potentially, but um, being willing to trust that these children, however they're in our home, be, be they are biological children or children we brought home through adoption or children that we are currently fostering or hope to foster, that they're really, we're, we're stewards of these lives and that they belong to the Lord and um, just taking that long-term view and also just the stewardship view with an open hand and allowing God to be God and allowing mm-hmm. him to be limitless and allowing ourselves mm-hmm. to be limited and that being um, a good and okay boundary to live within because it allow it makes us, it forces us to trust him and not to think that we can do it all. Wow, that is, that is amazing. I mean, we talk about sovereignty, but to actually have it to meet the, where the, where the rubber meets the road it's powerful to think of it in those day-to-day terms and, and taking the long view. That's so powerful. Mm-hmm. Well, and being willing to bear up under some of the heartache as you welcome this child into your home and you love them. And like you said, to have the court make a wrong, what feels like a wrong decision or may even be a wrong decision and to trust God's sovereignty in that or in, in things going ways that you hadn't predicted, you will hurt because of that. And I think to open yourself up to that, um, is really something that would be hard, difficult to do if you Mm -hmm. didn't know a sovereign God. Mm -hmm. You know, I mentioned this at the beginning of the podcast, but just how James talks about religion that is pure and undefiled, attaching that to care of orphans and widows in their distress. Can y'all flesh that out a little bit for us? What you think maybe he means by that through what you've learned through your experience? Yeah. So I, used to hear that verse and think, well, well, God cares for the least of these. And so he's saying, if, if we love him, we'll care for the least of these. And I think that that is very true. Um, but what I've also learned is that in caring for vulnerable children and, and families, really, um, I have learned more about my own brokenness mm-hmm. and my own need for God than I think I could have learned any other way. Mm-hmm. And so that it ultimately brings me closer to God. Religion, I'm not sure what exactly how you define that, but the, to me it would be, that would be the purpose of Christianity is to be drawn closer to God. And so in doing this work, which is for them, but is also for me to be, to be just to be drawn into that and to, to realize that I'm really no different than them. Yeah, it keeps it from being something in which you're promoting yourself or thinking, look at me doing this thing. Instead, finding yourself... Like you said, I'm I'm with them in this before the Lord, and we grow closer to the Lord together. When I looked at this verse, I thought, you know, my religion was not very pure and undefiled mm-hmm. at the beginning of this journey. 
not that I'm saying it is perfectly <laughs> now, um, but I really hate to admit that I saw myself as the savior figure mm-hmm. in the story. Here I was, we were going to step into someone else's broken mess and we were going to fix it and use our resources to save the day. Mm-hmm. Yikes, that's really yeah. what I was thinking. And I'm convinced now that the Lord allowed our journey to bringing Adeline home to be so long because he had so much to do in our own hearts before we were ready. Um, so my experience has caused a short, a sort of shifting of my vision of, I guess, just my lens of, um, people that maybe are disregarded or have less of a voice or who are vulnerable in a different way than I did before. So by God's grace, he's allowed me to see that visiting orphans and widows and their affliction should be a lot less of here, I'm in a position to help you because I have it all figured out or I'm superior in some sort of way, but it should be me coming close in humility to just extend the hope that I have been given to someone else who needs that hope. Um, I still find myself struggling with self-righteousness and critical spirit and judgmental thoughts for sure, but I've gained a deeper understanding of my own neediness through stepping into adoption and foster care than I had ever seen before. So I think that's a lot of what Marianne is saying And I just thought, you know, Jesus came close and visited me in my affliction and my vulnerability and my vulnerable state, and he didn't keep me at arm's length. And so I think that walking through an open adoption relationship with Adeline's family um, has also taught me more about the beauty of coming close um, and not staying at arm's length. And that that is so the story of drawing near to Christ. Because as we draw near to him, we do have a better awareness of who we are and we see our neediness. Uh, and it's his kindness that we see our neediness and that we're able to give out of that grace and love people well out of that grace. Absolutely. And when you answer that way, you, just, you can see the beauty of what the Lord does through us because of who he is. And we can sit around this table and I can see your families from a distance and I can can say what a beautiful thing that is. Mm. But I also know it's a hard thing. You know, there's mm. plenty of days where it doesn't feel beautiful. You don't feel beautiful. They don't seem beautiful. Nothing is beautiful. <laughs> doesn't smell beautiful. <laughs> doesn't look beautiful. Uh, so what has been then some of the hardest parts of fostering or adoption for y'all? Um, is it the same for you and for your husband? Is What's been hard for your kids, uh, your biological kids, kids maybe that you've adopted or fostered? What, do, what have been some of the struggles all around? So I think for me, and this may be a little bit different from Mark, but just processing all of the brokenness and the loss that is associated, the trauma that's associated mm-hmm. with foster care and with adoption, even with bringing um, an infant into your home, that there's still trauma and loss. It's just mm-hmm. not the way that it was intended to be, um, that children should be separated from their birth families. And um, But it, it, it does happen. And so I think just processing all of that and also just knowing that that is going to be a part of their story and of our family's story um, and acknowledging that and being willing to do whatever it takes to step into that. But also as a believer, I don't know, I think just living in the tension between that, between Mm -hmm. acknowledging that that is a very real thing. There's very real loss and very real trauma, but also that we have hope in Christ and that Jesus came to redeem the broken things. And so a lot of healing can happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think living in that tension of acknowledging the loss, but the hope of the gospel and just what that should look like, that it's it, 
there's not, it's not one or the other, Mm -hmm. um, but they work together and I don't have that all figured out, but I think that's something that has been a hard struggle, a good struggle, but it has been something hard for us to work through, even through adoption and now moving slowly into foster care is something that I'm really working through. That is so good because both of those poles are uh, not good. Neither of those are good because one is despair Mm -hmm. and the other is that, um, otherworldliness that means that we're not thinking about the practical Mm -hmm. things that are needed today and so that tension you're right that is that is the place of struggle and that's the place where we need the lord's grace and Mm -hmm. we're um, we're dealing with that awareness of what we are seeing so that's so so helpful yeah i think for our family um we've had at least we've had one really hard goodbye um and so that was really very hard and Um, that was several years ago. And so now it's working through just the brokenness of the system and the realization that we can't fix all the things that that we can't be the savior of any of these children. We can't take them all. I I want things to be just and I want things to be fair. And I want my kids to not hurt. (laughs) Um, But they have seen a lot of brokenness. But that has brought out compassion in them. Like, I can't even explain, you know, we had a little boy whose legs had been burned and I was changing his bandages. And Joe was only four, but she was singing this little made-up song that I won't sing for you guys because I can't (laughs) sing um, to him and comforting him Mm. as I changed his bandages and he screamed. And that's sad for a four-year-old, but I think it's going to grow her heart Mm -hmm. in a way that if we stayed away from those hurt, hard things that she would never know. And it would seem that fostering is such an undertaking that this couldn't be something that you could do without good support, it would seem. So talk to me about what are some of the ways that you see the church being particularly equipped to help families who choose to foster or to adopt? So I would say... Foster families burn out, um, basically, Mm -hmm. um, without support. And the church is really equipped to do that in that we should be all involved in each other's lives and caring for each other and helping each other to fulfill our purposes in life. And we each have our own gifts for that um, and ways in which we can do that. You know, for me, it may be welcoming kids for there's, women who bring us a meal every week. Um, There are people who have kept our children so that we could go on a vacation um, and leave them and recharge. Um, Hopefully there will be people who reach out to birth parents. um, I think we all have gifts, things that we can offer to fulfill Mm -hmm. that charge that James makes. He doesn't Mm -hmm. say some people take care of widows and orphans. He says all people, and we won't all do it in the same way. Yeah, I think we just have to discover what those gifts are and how they apply to that call. I think sometimes when you, or at least for me, when I look at that thing, I'm like, goodness, I couldn't do that particular piece where I don't think I could. Instead of just saying, well, then I'm not doing anything, say, but I can do this particular piece. Mm -hmm. And enjoying, you know, we kept King one time for a short (laughs) period of time, and my boys loved it and loved that time with him and what a gift it was to get to know him and feed him whipped cream and do all these crazy things. (laughs) Whipped cream for breakfast. I could bring you over and make whipped cream and, you know, (laughs) do little things like that. But when you have all sorts of people contributing in those small ways, 
we're all in that together, and that's it's not as lonely or as hard of a place I imagined. And that was the first be. time we had left our kids in six years. I mean, oh, so I'm glad you know, that happened, like, girl. Yeah. It, uh-huh. it just allows yeah. people to continue doing what they're meant to do. Yeah, I just thought, you know, that wh- who who is more equipped than the church? to do that and Mm -hmm. just sort of what you guys are saying and that it doesn't have to be an alone thing, just like for those that are called to do other things within the church. I mean, the church is this beautifully diverse, gifted body of people. I mean, we are the body of Christ Mm -hmm. and we all have different functions and different gifts. And so, you know, that maybe the Lord has called us into adoption and foster care, but that doesn't mean that I don't participate in some small way with other, you know, other needs within the church and just, Mm -hmm. just like, you know, other people can do that for us as well um, in some small way, just to support one another. And um, so I just think because it's not easy, very few things that God calls us to in this life are, we can support one another Mm -hmm. in the church. Um, So I think just a specific way that we have only, I mean, I think with adoption, I mean, there's a, a million different ways. We have so much support with people. I couldn't even tell you the number of people from this church who, brought us things to sell in a yard sale to be able to support us to be able to bring Adeline home financially and so that was a huge help and there's there's so many ways but um, just this last week we were providing short-term care for a little boy in foster care and we came to missions conference and people loved on him while he was here Um, and he went to class with Micah and and then just before that, earlier that afternoon, one of my closest friends just showed up on our front porch and said, hey, I know that y'all have an extra, a little extra person, an extra little person in your home. Here's a Chick-fil-A gift card. And we were able to, you know, get out the door a lot easier because we were able, she provided that meal for us. And that was a, a small but very tangible way. It wasn't small to me. It was huge. It was being seen and encouraged. Um, and she took the time to do that. And that was really that was really encouraging to me and beneficial to our children to see the body of Christ mm. pitching in. It wasn't just us doing it. Other people are doing it with us. And that was really encouraging. Love that. What would y'all say to families who are considering fostering and adopting themselves? What kind of spiritual and or practical inventory would you encourage them to do? So I would encourage families considering adoption to courageously ask the Lord to reveal areas in their heart um, that may need healing, that they may need healing in prior to walking into a situation of trauma and loss where they're going to be participators in that. And um, I, I know that that, you know, is something that you've heard my story here. I'm not, I've not done that perfectly. So I think that that could be very beneficial. Um, I think also I would encourage people to take an inventory, a little bit of the different voices that you're listening to. I would really encourage you to talk to other adoptive parents, Mm -hmm. but I also would really encourage people to listen to um, birth parent voices and even adult adoptee voices. That is something um, that we have done in the months since um, we have finalized our adoption, but I wish that I had done that. Um, prior to had been more, I don't know, just said my views would have been more broadened by listening to other voices, um, just as we listen to counsel also within our brother and sisters in Christ. But I think we need, I think that's an important step. Um, and then maybe the most important thing, just take an inventory of your prayer life. Um, one of the most, maybe the most influential thing that we did um, as we were 
walking through this journey of adoption. We went to a adoption training conference um, back several years ago was to start praying every night at family worship for our child's birth family. And we did this every night for almost four years since our journey was so long. And that much prayer will change you. It'll change your perspective. It'll change how you love someone, how you think about them. Um, so I would say if you're considering adoption, pray and also think about who and what you're praying for um, in that. Um, and then lastly, I just wanted to add that if you're considering transracial adoption, I would really encourage you to take a personal inventory um, just of biases you may have and relationships in your life that may help you in that um, and may give you a different point of view than that you really do need that you may not already have. Um, we thought we were doing this well, but I think now I'm realizing we weren't doing it very well. And we're asking God to fill in the gaps. And we focused a lot on the paperwork and the finances, but I don't think we focused on our own education as much mm -hmm. as we should have. So we have a long way to go and we're grateful for others who have helped us and are continuing to help us because it's really a lifelong journey. It doesn't stop right when you bring a child into your home. And really that's starting the point of um, that journey. So that's what Well, that's doing. encouraging to me to hear you're, you're basically saying continue to be a humble learner and yeah. not to assume that you know all of these things or that you're going to do it right or do it well and, for you to say, I, I don't think we did that well, and we're still in it, and we're going to learn, and we're going to grow, and we're going to keep doing it all the way through, just seems that would be such a necessary part. Yeah, I think I would say to them that it's hard, but that you'll get more than you ever give, um, that God will change you in ways that you can't imagine. Um, I don't know. I fought not to get a minivan, and now I drive a church van. Um, <laughs> You know, that's little, but I think it is like a, a shift and, um, but not to fear those things. I think fear is a big thing that keeps people away from foster care and adoption. Um, and there are real things to consider, but I think God is bigger than that fear. Um, and I think I've learned that I can trust him even with that fear. Um, and even when it seems too hard. Um, I will say, and I learned this the hard way. Um, I didn't do a good spiritual and practical inventory <laughs> before I started. Um, and I just wanted to do all the things <laughs> and help all the people. And I found myself in not a great place. Um, and so I would say, begin to care for your own soul, <laughs> begin to rest and learn to be with God. Um, and quiet, and even in things that you enjoy, like a jog, um, but turn those things towards him, and so that you're at a place where you can then um, give. I mean, I, I think I've heard that before I actually had to live it, but now having lived it, I realized that I got myself to a place that I had nothing left to give, but I had people <laughs> who needed things from me, and um, so just adjusting to that and learning to be still and to say no when things were too much. Um, and then realizing you need a community of people to help you. So take an inventory of who do you know that can love your child well in this thing or who can help you with this thing you're not good at um, or who can challenge you when you're seeing something, the, the, maybe not an accurate view of things, mm -hmm. Who will, who's willing to say like, Hey, have you really considered what it means to take this child? Mm. Well, ladies, yeah. what what rich treasure 
and what practical wisdom for those who might be considering fostering and adopting or for those who just need to understand how to support and love and care for and that there are a, a multiplicity of roles to play in this, as James calls us to care for orphans. And that includes those who are needing to be fostered. So thank you for your practical wisdom. Thank you for being here today with us. We do hope you will listen in next week. Take us on a drive or let us keep you company while you spring clean. Leslie Glass and Kay Hill will join us as we talk about James 4 and 13 through 5 and 12 and steadfast hope in the coming of the Lord. We hope you'll listen in. Sometimes a light surprises the Christian while she sings. It is the Lord who rises with healing in his wings when comforts are declining he grants the soul again a season of your shining to cheer it after the rain 